How does a holy God hang out with sinful people? That's his dilemma. It's a tough dilemma too. And so uh, we're going to have a, a, a God that's holy, right? So here's my little object lesson today. He is, he is holy. So that's actually the very first fill in the blank uh, is that God is holy. He's separate, separated from us. You know, over 200 and, and, well, I'll just say over 200 times, 229 times, God is mentioned in just the New Testament alone that He is holy. He is holy. From Genesis to Revelation, we find out that our God that we serve is holy. And that's a good thing that, that, he, is, that he is holy. Because that means He's going to be righteous. He's going to be filled with justice. He's going to be fair. He's, he's going to punish evildoers. He is nothing but good, pure good. And He is holy. In fact, it says, day and night, the four, living, the four living creatures, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, I've heard it said sometimes, you know, trying to compare the difference between God and us. Well, it's like uh, an ant to us. But that's really not a good analogy because they're still both created creatures, you know, uh, there's such a gap between the creator God and us cr of creation. It, it, and he is holy. He's different. He's not just a higher form of life. He's totally different from us. He is life itself. And remember any time in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament when somebody came face to face with the living God with all his holiness, what would happen to men? They would fall down, they would faint, they would say, woe is me, they would just pass out, they would fall on their hands and knees with their face into the ground. Anytime the holy God comes in contact with a sinful man, it's like double trouble for us because he is holy. He is holy, he's righteous, he's good, he's wholesome, he's beautiful, he is holy. But here's the next fill in the blank. When God's holiness encounters our sin, it makes us not, a, we don't feel good, but it makes God sick. I mean, remember in Revelation where the angel is talking to this lukewarm church and the, the angel says, hey, if you don't get your act together, God's going to do what? Vomit you is the actual word in the Greek. He's going to vomit you out of his mouth. It makes him so sick to see righteousness and holiness mingle together. Wickedness and, and, and holiness mingle together. It, it, he just, it, you just can't do it. So, the second attribute, though, is on the other side. And that is, God is love. God is love. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that for God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son that what? Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible just screams how good God is. How much he loves us. 
which is incredible. He loves us. One of the parables that Jesus tells is about a guy that goes to the marketplace and he hires a bunch of guys at 6 o'clock in the morning and says, I'm going to pay you a day's wage. Is that cool? And they said, yes. And he sends them out into the field. At noon, he comes back by the market square and he sees guys standing around and he says, nobody hired you? No, nobody hired us. Tell you what, go out into my field and I'll pay you what's fair. So then he comes along and it's five o'clock in the evening. He goes to the marketplace. He still sees guys standing around with their hands in their pockets. And the landowner says, you mean nobody has hired you? Tell you what, you go into my field for an hour because quitting time's coming and I'll pay you what's fair. So guess what? He goes and he calls the guys that got hired at five o'clock and he says, okay, here is $100 for today's wage. They're like shocked. They're like, woo-hoo, I could go home and feed my family. Because back then, you lived day to day. You talk about hand to mouth, it was hand to mouth. If these guys didn't work, they weren't going to eat today. Their family wasn't going to eat today. And this landowner gives them $100. So then the guys that sh showed up at noon, they get $100. They're like, the guys that got hired on at 6 o'clock in the morning, they got $100. You know what they did? Oh, they were mad. They were angry. They said, why in the world do you, they get $100 and I only get $100 and I had to work for 12 hours? That's not fair. The landowner says, are you jealous that I'm kind, that I'm generous? Now, there's a whole lesson there, but I want you to see this painting of Jesus, this painting of God, that his heart was going out to these guys that got hired at five o'clock, and their family wasn't going to eat that day. The landowner said, I'm going to make sure your family eats today. Here's $100 to go feed your family. I want you to understand that God loves you. He loves the guys that didn't get hired, the guys that had to work half a day, and the guys that worked all day long. He loves. It just goes to the very character and core of who God is. He loves us. Remember Jesus when he climbed up on the hill and he looked down across the people and it says that his heart was filled with compassion because the people we're like sheep without a shepherd. So here's the next fill in the blank. When God's love encounters our debt, it makes him what? It makes him want to rescue us. That's what he wants to do. Now both characteristics are at 100%. And they have to be at tension with one another. In other words, his holiness and his love have to kind of find this equilibrium where they can both be together. His holiness isn't going to be stronger than his love, and his love isn't going to be stronger than his holiness. Together, they tug equally at God's heart. So now I need two people to help me. So, tell you what, uh, where was, where, where, I'm looking... Chris, that's who I was looking for. You're hiding behind Mitch. 
Mitch, you want to come up and help me too? I want you to hold this. And Mitch, you're going to go on the other side of the stage. And you're going to hold this. And you're going to make sure that you have tension between it. So that it's... Now, we've already said... God is holy, so hold that up. And God is love. I want you to get this. This is a visual for you because I'm going to help you so that you can explain the gospel to somebody because people say, well, if God's such a loving God, why does he send people to hell? First of all, he's not sending anybody to hell. People are already on their way to hell. They just haven't gotten there. He's here to rescue them. Am I right? So here's a visual to help that... And, he, and here's me, or you. Here's man. Now, if we go too far this way, and God is just more holy than he is love, guess what he's going to do just by his very character? I'm not going to be able to be in his presence. If he is light, because God is light, and I'm darkness, what does light do to darkness? By its very essence, His essence of holiness is going to destroy a sinful man like me. And so if he, if we err and said, oh, God's just all love, 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 love. Let's sing the Beatles song. All you need is love and all your problems go away. And there is no, we diminish his holiness. Well, you know what? We should, we should let people in to heaven that have nasty thoughts, murderous thoughts. Well, if you let people in with murderous thoughts, then you really should allow people to come in that have been, you know, still going to murder, still going to attack, still going to lie. You you start seeing this that if, if God just says, oh, it's okay, you start seeing that God is not, if he's not holy, then he's not fair. And heaven won't be heaven like we think it's going to be. It's going to be like this place or worse. And so there has to be this tension where God's holiness and God's love somehow meets in the middle where there is this tension between... So God has this incredible dilemma, doesn't he? Both attributes tug at God's heart, but they must harmonize and they must balance. Now, we don't have any problem understanding love. We struggle with, G- with God's holiness, don't we? Can he just look at the other way? Can he just sweep it under the rug? Can he just say, I forgive you and, and let me sit in his lap? Holy God, catch this, must hate sin. Otherwise, he's not holy, he's not righteous. Would it be all right if, Catherine, God winks at your sin but punishes Heather for the same one? Is that fair? Is that righteous? Are you a right? Is, is God righteous if he lets you get away with murder and you, you stub somebody's toe and you get the electric chair? It just, it, God is holy or he's not. There's no favoritism. He doesn't favor one sin over another. And his character must have justice. A sense of right and wrong must be satisfied. And if he is holy, though, he's trustworthy. Because he hasn't swept it under the rung.
rug. He must punish sin. You guys are doing a great job. Just keep, keep there for a second. In Exodus, it says this. God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, but he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for their, and their children for the sin of the fathers. So part of God's dilemma involves us who are created in that image of God, declared to be very good, but have been in rebellion. And so our dilemma then, and uh, you, you, guys, you guys can sit down now for a, for a second. We'll, we'll keep going on. So you could just leave your signs there and, and sit down. So God's dilemma is holy. He wants to do something, has to deal with sin. And at the other time, he loves us and he wants to rescue us. He wants to give us life. So how can God's holiness and love both be satisfied? How can he be 100% holy and 100% love at the same time? And there is really only one answer. And it's answering the question that we started with, why do we have to have the cross? Why did God have to suffer for us? Why did Jesus have to come and take on the sins of the world for us? Why couldn't God just look the other way? Because his holiness demanded justice. But his love was conflicted because his love said, I love them and I must find a way to rescue them. That's why it says in Galatians, when the time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. You know, in John chapter 12, you can turn there. I'm going to read that from it. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 27. A few days before Jesus' death on a cross, he says this. You've got to remember the intensity, the emotional intensity. Jesus is carrying and starting to feel the weight of the world. He knows what is before him. He knows what's going to happen to his body. He knows of his betrayal. John chapter 12, verse 27 Jesus says very, in in his humanity, he says this, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. I came to keep that tension. And then he says, verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, no, an angel has spoken to him. Verse 30 says, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment, that holiness of God, this judgment of the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. Verse 32, he's talking about the cross. And when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. 
If you're following along, turn to chapter 17. A little later in the upper room, Judas has already left to sell Jesus to get his 30 pieces of silver and to tell them where Jesus could be found. Beginning at verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, again, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him over all authority over flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished, notice the words, the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world even existed. And then you know what happens next. Jesus goes to the garden. And, and, and his soul is so troubled because he knows what's coming that he begins to sweat drops of blood out of his forehead. I, I can't even imagine the guilt that Jesus is starting to feel because that, that sin is being put on him and he knows. But, and yet he cries to his father and he says this, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you. And then Judas and the guards came and arrested Jesus. They took him to the high priest. They had a mock trial in the middle of the night. They take him to Pilate. Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with him. He washes his hands. He sends them back to the Jewish leaders. The crowds start to cry for Jesus to be crucified. And then in Matthew 27, beginning at verse 35, it says this. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Matthew 27, verse 35. And then they sat down and kept watch over him. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, You, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. If he trusts in God, then let God deliver him. For he said, I am the son of God. You know what's interesting? What they said was true. In, in this sense. Jesus could either save himself or save you. That was his choice. He can't save himself, not if he's going to do the work that God asked him to do. How does a holy God hang out with you? How does a holy God hang out with me without his utter character destroying me? Well, we're going to get to it. 
About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lekta shabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Look at this next slide. Jesus turned God's wrath away from guilty sinners by enduring that wrath himself on the cross. Jesus satisfied our sin debt that we owed to God. But was there more to Eli, Eli, Lema Sabachthani? I think there was. Do you know, they weren't rich enough to have books. Not every person had a copy of the hymn book. And so the way you would reference a song is you would say the opening line to a song. I mean, we could do it now. What's the opening long, the, the opening song to uh, Love Me Do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that's it. The title is usually the first line of a song. Not always. But for people that didn't have technology, didn't have paper, didn't have anything, and all the audience that was listening to Jesus say, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That's the opening line to Psalm 22. Would you turn there? Psalm 22. Jesus is quoting the first line to the song. Psalm 22. Written 800 years before the cross. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Yet you are what? What? You are holy. There's that word again. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned and despised by mankind and by the people. All who see me mock me. What just happened to Jesus? He was mocked. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. What did it say in Matthew? They mocked him and wagged their heads at him. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Interesting. They're quoting the psalm that Jesus, his reference. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. This psalm is actually being fulfilled at this very moment. We don't have time, but just drop down to verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They wipe in Open wide their mouths, poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breath. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And yet all my bones are with me. They have not been broken. They stare and gloat after me. They what? They divide my garments among them and they cast clothing for my lots? 
Now just drop down to the very end of the psalm, verse 31. They shall come, this future generations, and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has what? He's done it. Jesus has done it. What did he do? He satisfies God's holiness and he satisfies God's love at the same time. So when you have, let's look at the next slide. When you have God's holiness and God's love, they come together where? At the cross. That's why we had to have the cross. Look at this next slide. God himself gave himself to save ourselves from who? Himself. The cross was the only solution to a holy and loving God's dilemma. And all through the New Testament, we see God's holiness combined with his love. Many of you know the Roman road. Romans 3 is a great passage. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through who? Jesus. God presented himself as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies. God is the the judge and God is also the one who takes the punishment. So in Romans a little later it says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're crybabies, whiners, sinners, rebellious, stinking, dysfunctioning, mad, angry, mad as all get out, he still died for us. And what do you say? Woohoo! He loves us. That he died for us. And not only that, in Ephesians it says, he In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus because he is gracious to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? At five o'clock, we're getting hired to go work in a vineyard and we don't deserve a full day's wage. But he says, I'm good. I love you. I want to bless you. Go here is my character of love. In the beloved, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And we were made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Titus goes on, Paul to Titus says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because we were pretty, not because we smelled sweet, not because we did more good than bad. He did it because his own mercy by the washing 
and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he has poured out on us richly through Jesus. That's, that's pretty exciting stuff. That we're justified by grace so that we can become heirs. Okay, let's sum this up. 1 John 4.10 says this. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or the next one, the second Corinthians passage, it's a slide. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God solved his dilemma through the cross. So, Mitch, I need you to come back up. Chris, I need you to come back up for a second. I want you to hold up your signs again. Holy and love. And this tension, this tug of war is good. Now, we have to talk about our response. And do you remember when I had Brock and Ian do this? So some of you have seen this before, but it's such a great visual. Turn your sides over. Now, because of the cross, let's see, he's friend. And over here, he's Lord. And as long as you keep this tension, you're going to be in a good spot. Now, if God, if we just think that Jesus is our buddy and he's pal and he's going to go out and, and commit crimes of passion with us, then we have negated him as Lord, right? And the line goes slack. And when it goes slack, there's no bridge. You have to have a bridge to God. Are you with me on that? Your bridge is Jesus. Your bridge is the cross. And so, yes, he is love, and he is our friend, but he is a holy God, and he is also Lord. And so keep that tension up, and as long as that tension is up, your walk with the Lord is going to be sweet because you're going to have access to him, and you get to come before him and say, oh, Jesus, thank you. But if he's just your buddy and your friend and he winks at your sin and all you need is love and that's all there is and there's no obedience, there's that word again, obedience. How do you really show God love? Through your obedience. Lip service is cheap. You can say, I love God and then live your life any way you want to. That's not love. Could you imagine a marriage like that? Could you imagine Eloise and Lawrence having a marriage that, was, that, that wasn't based on mutual respect, but you guys just did whatever you wanted to and you just told each other to get over it? There's no way to have a relationship like that. And so God has this holy character and he is Lord and he is mighty and he is king and he is worthy of our praise. And yet, at the same time, I can cry to him. I can call him friend. I understand the compassion of a friend. He's got my back. And he's forgiving me. If all I do say, Jesus, I'm sorry I did this this week. He is so quick to forgive so that this bridge stays taut. So I have 
the ability to be in his presence constantly. If you do not know Jesus, see me. Everybody needs a bridge to God, but the only bridge there is is Jesus. And if you do not have that relationship with him, I invite you to go have a cup of coffee with me. We'll take a walk out in the desert. If you have questions about God's love and his friendliness in this tension about him being Lord, for what did Tammy read? Every knee and bowel, every knee and, and tongue do what? Will confess that Jesus is what? Lord. You guys can go sit down. Thank you. Would you get quiet in your heart and let's pray together.